0: Today's reading is John 1, through 42. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied. And you will see. So they went. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, "We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ." And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, son of John." You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Sam. It's a little nervous when you get up here, you know. The words disappear on the page. and uh, You know, I have to tell you that um, I would think I'm in Indiana today. And I have a philosophy. The United States ends at the Rockies, and God didn't call me into foreign missions. <laughs> In fact, I'm even suspicious about Denver. Um, so I don't know what happened to the heat. It's like um, someone ganged up on us. If you'd open your Bibles to Second uh, Peter, we want to spend some time there this morning looking at uh, Peter's life. Second Peter. It's the sixth book from the end. It starts out this way: Simon Peter, a an ap- servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. When I came out of college, I uh, had been raised in a home that believed that all believers are called to full-time ministry. My dad was a prominent businessman, but he was a churchman first. And uh, I was privileged to be raised in a home where I saw Christ on display on a regular basis. And one of the things he encouraged me was that God's given me a a mind and an ability and I need to use it for him. And it doesn't have to be in paid ministry or full-time ministry, but it needs to be full-time for him. So, I came out of college and I was anxious to be in healthcare. I had degrees in the sciences and went to work in a hospital lab and began um, working in the field that I believe God had led me to. And <clears throat> I just loved it. I loved working with people, uh, I loved the whole dimension of healthcare. Those of you who are in healthcare, you know what I'm talking about. You just have an opportunity to touch lives that you otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to touch. Well, I, I decided that I didn't know enough, and so I went back to school, to graduate school, and I was taking classes, and there was one class that I had to take that I put off, and I put it off for two years. It was one of those touchy-feely classes. Now, you know, I'm in the sciences, and I went into the sciences because it's concrete, it's, it's objective, and I don't have to get all squirmish. I grew up in a conservative Christian environment that talked in terms of psychobabble, touchy-feely. It just was not a class I wanted to take, but I had to take it. So finally, I flew to Phoenix and had registered for the class, and I'm standing at the turnstile at the airport waiting for my suitcase to come around, and another guy who'd been in the class sauntered up, and he said... Um, I'm not looking forward to taking this class. I said, yep. He said, "Uh, it's one of those touchy-feely classes where they put you in a circle and make you divulge everything about your life. (laughs) I said, yep. So we kind of commiserated for a few minutes, took the shuttle together over to the class location, walked in the class location, and lo and behold, the class was set up with tables and chairs. There were 40 tables, two chairs to a table, a lectern, and there was just a sigh of relief and everybody walked through the door. Ah, no circle, <laughs> right? Then the instructor walked through the front door. Now, hate is a strong word, but I hated him the moment he showed up. <laughs> he was 6'6", and thin and healthy. Now. Thin and healthy has never been a term used of me. Okay, I have an hourglass shape with all the sand at the bottom. So, so I didn't like the guy to begin with, and he was just tan and good looking and ex-NBA player, and, and he had his glasses up on this beautiful head of hair, right? Now, I've tried to do that, but it springs the, the frame on my glasses so badly they don't fit my head from then on, And I have so much grease in my hair that when I bring my glasses down, they're opaque. So I hate anybody that can take their glasses, put them up there, bring them down, and actually see through them. He took one look at the room, and he said, oh, no, this is the wrong configuration. We need to move the tables and put the chairs in a circle. And I looked at the guy next to me who had emotionally gone back to the airport. And so it started, and I thought, oh, a long two weeks of absolute suffering. So as we said in the circle, some 65 of us, he said this. He said, I know that most of you are anxious to tell me who you are and where you're from and and so that we can get acquainted. But he said, I'm really not interested in that question right now. I'd like to ask you one question. What's the most important thing about you that you want us to know? Wow. In fact, that question has kind of percolated in my life ever since. It's a great question, isn't it? What's the most important thing about you that you want us to know? Peter, four months before his death, the text indicates that he knows that the Lord is going to take him home, chooses to write his final epistle. I believe this is, the apostle Peter. Some have questioned the authorship here, but I think the text reveals that it has to be the one who walked with Jesus. He says this, I am Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now in the Greek language, word order is very important. It takes on a different importance than it does in the English language. In the English language, word order is meaning. There's a big difference between the man ate the bear and the bear ate the man. And the only, thing, the only difference is the word order. But in the Greek language, it doesn't make any difference where the word is in the sentence. You know what part of speech it is by its ending. But the word order in the Greek language helps us understand importance. What the author thought He wanted to communicate most effectively. And so Peter wants to remind us that he was Simon Peter, a man in transition. We read this morning the story of his name change. Can can you imagine his brother spends a day with Jesus and is so excited he runs back to uh, get his brother Simon Peter and brings him to the Lord and the Lord looks at him and he doesn't say, hey, how are you doing? Where have you been? You've been fishing? He just says, uh, you're Simon. Now you're going to be called Peter. Now, here's a funny thing. When we read the Gospels, we lose the continuity of the timing. Uh, because the, the Gospels, except for possibly Luke, are not intended to give us the order of events. They get the beginning, the birth of Jesus, and the end, the resurrection of Jesus right. But the events in between are sometimes jumbled. Uh, Matthew's goal is not to give us uh, a chronological order of the life of Jesus. His goal is to present Jesus as king. And so that's his whole theme. And he doesn't care about the order. So theologians have studied this for years and, and they realize that Peter probably did not meet Jesus again for months. For months. In fact, the next time he meets Jesus, Jesus catches him fishing and he calls Peter to be a fisherman of men. And the text says he forsook everything and followed Jesus. So think about Peter for months having met the Messiah and all he did was change his name. What is going on? He's got to be thinking. Why Peter? And then he meets him a second time and Jesus calls him into a personal relationship. And the text is pretty interesting. Throughout the Gospels, you read the phrase and he forsook his fishing completely. It's actually what the literal text says, and he followed Jesus. Yet each time Peter had difficulty, you find him back fishing again. So it's like most of us. That we're on a journey and when we encounter difficulties in our life we tend to retreat to our comfort zone. And Peter's comfort zone was fishing. Think about the events in Peter's life that moved that was moving him from Simon To Peter, being called by the Messiah, having your name changed, seeing Jesus at the transfiguration where he takes on the whole aura of what the resurrected Jesus was going to look like, and then being told you can't tell anybody. To a Peter, that's huge. Now, I identify with Peter. I don't identify with Paul. Paul is just too smart and too together and too organized. I identify with Peter because in the text it says, having nothing to say, he said. (laughs) Now, now I can relate to that statement. I I identify with Peter. Peter was kind of known as a a reactor. He could go off half-cocked and have to be reminded about. I mean, think about it. Twice Peter told God what the plan should be. I mean, have you ever done that? And so Peter's life is slowly changing. Uh, Pastor Alex reminded us uh, several weeks ago that as Peter was, uh, as he denied the Lord, he went through the catastrophic uh, realization that he had denied the one he loves, went off and wept, came back, ran to the tomb, found an empty tomb. Uh, Life catches him again at fishing. And in John 21, someone says from the boat, that's Jesus, he swims to the shore and has uh, lunch and then they engage in a discussion and three times Jesus asks him do you love me and as pastor pointed out uh, the word for love there has changed really what the text says is Jesus asked Peter do you love me sacrificially and Peter said you know I am your friend and then Jesus said uh, Peter do you love me sacrificially and Peter said Lord you know I'm your friend And then the third time, Jesus said, Peter, are you my friend? And Peter was crushed. And it's at that point in Peter's life that he never returns to the fishing. It's at that point in Peter's life that he takes on the mantle of being truly um, an apostle, someone who's going to represent Jesus. He will be the one that will usher in the coming of the church. He will be the one that delivers the message. The Peter who is writing the book to us right now is not that brash reactive man, but he's changed. He's a person in transition. We're all in transition. We're all becoming someone. And so the the first question for us is who are we becoming? What is the most important thing about us that we want people to know? The the second thing we want to know, we want to understand about Peter is, one of the first things that emerges in Peter's life as he is a changed person moving towards what God would have him to be, is that he's a servant first and apostle second. A servant first. I don't know if you've ever met any great servants. Uh, I've had a privilege of meeting a number of them. Uh, Luanna and I, um, in our previous ministry, before we moved down here, we had the privilege of of visiting a man in Bangladesh who we supported as a church. His name was John Sarkar, and... I think he was not treated very well by the American missionaries. At least that was our perception when we visited him. We lived on his um, in his uh, area, his um, uh, walled living space that had a Bible college, a seminary, and two orphanages. He had 60 kids that he lived with almost all year long alone and taught them the love of Jesus. And when we would travel with him, no matter where we traveled in... Um, Bangladesh people would come up to him bend down and touch his foot touch his belt and then pay reverence to him not not just a few hundreds police officers doctors famous people and and so I got him aside one one day after breakfast I said so John tell me what is this all about well he kind of bashfully said "I, I led all those people to the Lord He said, I had an impact in their life. and That's the way we show respect and servanthood. In fact, you see it in the text. If you were to read Acts 10, it's the way Cornelius greets Peter. As he comes to Peter, he realizes in Peter a man who's going to change his life, and he gives him that that sense of uh, deference and respect. Being a servant is probably the most important thing that we can acquire as a believer. And it's the first thing that shows up as we begin the transition of of becoming what God wants us to become. Peter went through two experiences that were really difficult for him in the process of becoming a servant. The first was in the upper room the night before Jesus was betrayed. You, You know the story. It's found in John chapter 13. Peter and all the disciples have eaten with the Lord, and the Lord takes off his outer garment, puts on the towel of a servant, and he begins washing their feet. When it comes to Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Lord says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. I love Peter. Peter says, give me a bath. And the Lord says, no, you don't need a bath. All you need to do is let me, Rollins' paraphrase, wash your feet. See, I think the the lesson there is, in most of our lives, and you've heard me say this before, I think it's much easier to help people than it is to let people help us. It's much easier to wash feet than to let people wash our feet. It took me years to admit to people that I had a need because I believe that God called me to meet needs. God called me to wash feet, not to have my feet washed. I remember years ago, I had a Bible study in our home on Saturday mornings. and started at six o'clock because I made a commitment to the wives that I wouldn't steal their husbands all day. And so we were done by 8 o'clock in the morning. So at 6 o'clock we started. And we went through John chapter 13 in that beautiful passage about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And as we left, uh, as I walked the the guys out to their car, one of them noticed that I had a car with bald tires on it. Now, now see, I don't care. Uh, I drive four miles to church every day in that car. And if I get a flat, I probably would be better off walking anyway. Okay, so I say, it's not a problem. Yeah, but they're illegal. Well, I, No one really cares anymore, right? So I go about my business in the day. At four o'clock, the doorbell rings. There's all these guys standing there with four tires. And I said, no, no, no. You know, I, the church pays me very, very well. I really don't, I don't need you to buy me tires. And one of them said, you mean you don't want us to wash your feet? Ooh, yeah, give me the tires. See, it's, it's easier to be on the giving than it is on the receiving. And Peter found that out in a real way. And it changed his life. It, it does. It changes all of our lives. When people help us and minister to us, we begin to develop a way to love everyone differently. We, we discover that there is a humility in the process that we gain. And once we gain that humility, we give in a way that uh, is more, it's more easy to take. It's, it's easier to handle. The second event in Peter's life happens in Acts chapter 10 and we don't have the time to look at it. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter is uh, hungry and he's on a rooftop and he's he's seeing a vision. He, he may be in a trance. I've been hungry, but I've never been trance hungry. But he's hungry and he's seeing a, a vision and in the vision, he has a, a, a platform comes down with all these unclean animals. Now, if Peter is anything, he's Jewish. I mean, he's probably a Pharisee. He's a Jew's Jew. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he follows the law. He doesn't mix with Gentiles. He's very careful on how he lives his life. And a voice comes from heaven, says, kill, take and eat. And Peter says, the text doesn't say this, but I'm sure he did. Oy ve, Lord, I'm Jewish. <laughs> And the voice says, what I've declared clean, do not declare unclean. And then it, this happens three times. Now, uh, several days before this event, Cornelius, who was a centurion, um, and the text tells us he was a godly guy. So either he had proselytized to Judaism or he had discovered the God of Israel and began worshiping the God of Israel. And he gave to the poor. He was a remarkable, a remarkable uh, human being, and uh, because of his prayer life, <clears throat> excuse me, and because of his giving to the poor, uh, God sends an angel, and an angel says to him, "You need to go find Peter who 's staying in Simon the tanner 's house, and he will come and answer all your questions. So as Peter sees this platform go up the third time there 's a knock at the door, and it 's Cornelius 's servants. And they're looking for Peter. So, so Peter goes uh, to Cornelius' house and he leads all of them to the Lord. They're the first Gentiles led to the Lord. A huge step because he had to make some changes in how he viewed people. See, servants view people differently. I remember when I was in healthcare, I, uh, I, uh, I was not quite there. I was still a Pharisee. I'm now a recovering Pharisee. But... <laughs> Um, I remember we had a call to the emergency room and I walked around the corner. I stumbled over this guy who, uh, this is 1972, 73, uh, was wearing Birkenstocks with no socks, with no sockings, which is forbidden. I mean, we're, we're in a healthcare, we're wearing suit and tie, right? And he had a sweatshirt that said J.S. Bach, had holes in it, that bothered me. He had Levi's that had his knee hanging out here, that really bothered me. And he had hair, hair, and little teeny wire glasses. And I nearly knocked him over. And so um, I thought, who are you? And he said, well, I'm the ER doc on tonight. <laughs> and I said, uh, you're kidding. <laughs> no, he said, actually, I am the ER doc on tonight. And so um, I was in seminary at the time, you know, learning how to be a loving Christian. <laughs> and uh, the hospital was very good to me. They they said, if you have no patients, use your office to study. It's not a problem. So sometimes you would come into my office. It was like the Holy of Holies. I would have my Hebrew Bible, my Greek Bible, my English Bible, all my study notes. I mean, you could just sense the aura. <laughs> and so on one of those nights a week later, I'm studying, and he walks in, and he says... Um, you don't like me, do you? I said, what was your first clue? He said, why don't you like me? I said, uh, if I came into this hospital with a coronary and looked up and saw you working on me, I'd die. <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, I just came off of two stints in Vietnam. And he said, I'm a, I'm a phenomenal doctor. He said, I really love ER medicine. And I'm very good at it. And you and I need to work closely together, and you've got to cut me a chance. And then he stuck his finger right in the middle of my Bible, the audacity to touch my Bible. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, you're a seminary student, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, you you guys are really good about teaching about love, but not too good at demonstrating in your life. Whoa, I thought, get your finger out of my Bible. (laughs) So I went home to that woman whom God gave me to agree with me. (laughs) And I told her about this story and she said, you need to listen to him. I hate that when God does that to you. And so you know what? I began praying. Not for him, but for me. That God would change my heart. And over a period of several months, God did change my heart. I saw in him one of the most Practical doctors we'd ever had. I watched him dip into his pocket and send patients home who couldn't afford to go home. I watched him pay for patients who couldn't afford the service. He would give it to them and then not tell them, just say, don't worry about it, then go down to the business office and pay for it. I don't think you can do that today. But I found in a man who was not a believer more love than I had in my life as a believer. See, all of us need to understand the transformation of becoming servants. It's so critical to our lives. And that event changed my life. I really began to wrestle with who am I if I'm not a loving person. The the third thing that we notice about Peter as he answers this question, what's the most important thing about him that he wants us to know is uh, the fact that he says he's a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. If you look at the construction, um, this construction is almost never used in the New Testament. It's a familiar construction. It used to bother me. I couldn't figure out why Peter would say not Christ Jesus the Lord or Jesus Christ the Lord. It's like he doesn't give respect to the title. And then a friend once pointed out to me it's probably because Jesus first, because Peter probably first knew Jesus as a friend. And he developed a friendship with him that has never left him. It changed his life. And so he sees Jesus not as Messiah first, but his friend first, who is the Messiah, who paid the price for his life. He gives us a clue to that, uh, to that understanding in verse 2 of this passage when he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. This word for knowledge is an interesting word. It's the most intensive uh, form of the word knowledge in Scripture. In the Greek Old Testament, that's Septuagint, this word knowledge is the kind of uh, love that's expressed between a husband and a wife that produces a child. It's an intimate knowledge. Sometimes we read that passage and we just think, well, all we got to do is read the Bible, know more about the life of Jesus, and things just magically happen. Peter's saying, no, what you need to discover is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the kind of relationship that you have with your closest friends but closer an intimate relationship, for he is your best friend. He knows your hearts, he knows your minds, and yet he still chooses to love us. He chooses to love us on the basis of who we are. He paid the price for our sins at Calvary. He did that because he loved us. And Peter says, when you get tied into the vine that way, it it will intricately and completely begin to change your life. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, Of Jesus Christ so let me ask you where are you in that transition what's the most important thing about you that you want us to know we're all changing we're all moving from old to new you're either involved in the program or genetics is taking over and you're becoming your mom and your dad that may be a good thing maybe a bad thing if you try to to not become someone you become like them I have a friend of mine I was playing golf with some years ago and and he something happened, I don't remember what happened, but he made a statement that was so his dad. And he hates his dad. They have never had they've never they have not been close for 35 years. It's a sad thing. I pulled the card over and I said, you know what? That was your dad. No way. I said, that was your dad. I said, he's a man that you don't want to be like and you're becoming like him. And we had this whole discussion. Who are you becoming? You have to be actively involved in that process. You can't just let the genes take over. So who are you becoming? It's a great question. It first emerges in our life as servants. People begin to see in our lives the ability to be tolerant, to be uh, capable of coming alongside, not being judgmental, uh, living a life that's credible, And and then it, 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 it all emulates out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a great question. Just write it down. And throughout the school year, maybe contemplate on it. What's the most important thing about you that you want us to know? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of Peter's life that keeps us focused, Father, on what you would have us to be, who you would have us to be. And we pray, Father, that you'd guide us to be the people that would please you in every way and have the impact that you'd have us to have.